Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to the ILN Talk Show, uh, a free space to discuss different developments in Muslim-majority countries and beyond um, in the hope of promoting a Muslim case for freedom. Um, this is actually our ninth episode, and it is a very special one because my guest today is a very special one. He's, his name is Ali Salman, the CEO of the Islam and Liberty Network. Uh, Mr. Ali, we're very happy to have you with us today. Thank you so much, Tasneem. It's a pleasure to be a guest today at the Island Talk Show. Thank you. So today we're not going to be talking about our uh, organization, the Islam Liberty Network. We're going to be talking about something very special, which is Ali's book, um, this one. It's uh, called Islam and Economics, a primer on markets, morality and justice. It is published by the Acton Institute um, in 2021. So um, we're going to be discussing this book thoroughly today, and I want to start by um, something very particular, which is the fact that uh, you are an expert in um, economics, someone who wrote so many articles, uh, took part in several conferences and participated in several panels on economy. When did you take the decision um, to write your own book, um, particularly on Islam and economy? D did you spot any any lack or maybe a deficiency in the field that you wanted to address yourself? Well, Tasneem, uh, thank you for uh, you know giving me an opportunity to talk about this book. Um, I think this, as as everything else, it's it was has been a journey. Um, I wrote a, a, a published a monograph about seven or eight years ago, uh, which was on price control uh, in Islam. Uh, that monograph was later um, condensed into um, like smaller articles and published in a couple of uh, magazines. It, I think it, it was read by a few people. Um, eventually it got the attention of, um, of actually our friend Mustafa Akiol, uh, from, um, uh, you know, and he was advising the Acton Institute uh, Islamic Outreach Program and he read my article. Uh, so uh, we, we met in, in Kuala Lumpur, but that was in 2017. Um, and then he asked if I would be happy to write uh, a fuller um, introduction or uh, about the, the ideas of economic organization as introduced by the early, um, in earlier Islamic history and as espoused in uh, Quran and Sunnah. Mm -hmm. And um, um, with, of course, with a lot of um, humbleness, I accepted uh, that offer. And I said, well, it'll be a great honor for me to, to write something like that. Uh, primarily um, for an audience in, in, in the US and in the West, uh, but of course, by extension, for anyone who is interested in, in learning more about uh, the subject of uh, economics from an Islamic history point of view. And uh, one of the things which uh, I think Mustafa um, and also leadership at Acton Institute highlighted that um, uh, you know people in, in the West, in, in US, uh, when they read about um, Islamic history, or when they read about uh, the prophet of Islam, mm -hmm. then they don't get to know uh, this aspect of a uh, prophet personality or this aspect of uh, the the ideas of an Islamic um, principles. And so, so maybe by by highlighting some of uh, these issues and, and how uh, maybe the Islamic principles uh, addresses the issue of economics, of distribution, 
uh, of uh, uh, you know property rights uh, maybe we can actually uh, start a new debate um, uh, on the subject so i think these were the few motivations which uh, which actually really led me uh, to reconnect with my earlier work uh, which was specifically on price control but then expand really on 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 uh, on more on the holistic side and in this journey i have been assisted by so many friends um, uh, scholars uh, who are much better scholars in islamic history than myself um, that i've immediately i have immensely benefited from all all those experiences and feedback great Perfect. So let's focus on the title for a second, because it's the first thing that any, you know, uh, person who's interested in reading this book would see. So the book deals obviously with several aspects um, of the relationship between Islam and economics, and the title should preferably reflect this. Um, how did you eventually settle on this title in particular? I mean, does the word primer in, in, in the title suggests that it, this book is specifically targeted for those beginners who need someone to pave the way for them to understand the link between um, Islam and economics? Uh, yes, that's an interesting question. Um, I think, first of all, um, this is an introductory text. Um, so I have tried to um, you know keep a language simple and as accessible as, as it can be. But, but also, um, you know, the, the, the issue of economics uh, cannot be isolated from the larger issue of uh, justice, of morality. And that is really, if you go back to the foundations of uh, even classical economic thought, um, you know, going, going, let's say in our modern era, going back to Adam Smith, uh, who wrote about uh, moral sentiments first before he wrote The Wealth of Nations. And uh, so I wanted to um, sort of create that, that link between the, the moral principles of Islam and the economic principles of Islam, um, while keeping, um, you know, while considering the fact that uh, uh, since Prophet of Islam, peace be upon him, uh, himself had led a very uh, active life of an entrepreneur, of, of a trader. Uh, so we actually can step uh, forward. Like it, it's, you're not just talking about moral aspect, but we're also talking about the functional aspect of economic organization or society. So there are moral foundations, but then there are actual, uh, you know, practical sort of uh, guidelines on what needs to be done and then uh, what, need, what, what, needs, what needs to be avoided. Uh, and in the light of that, I think this, this link between morality and economics and, and justice is created. Um, and let me, you know, uh, also, uh, I think maybe one part of your first question, I, I could not answer properly when you talked about a deficiency, you know, we, we always think about um, the contribution, which uh, hopefully our academic work can, can make in the immense existing literature on Islamic economics. By the way, I don't use the word Islamic economics uh, directly. Um, because that is also, you know, in my view, is, is a bit problematic, um, which tends to talk about Islamization of everything. So I take yeah. a different view on that. Uh, but I think the deficiency which um, um, Professor Farid uh, Latas from Malaysia actually is a great scholar. When he read uh, my earlier work, um, uh, you know, I, I, I must mention because he was probably the first one who said that. Um, Ali, you, you're talking about a, uh, you're talking about rediscovery of classical aspects of economic organization, um, which is different 
from what modern uh, subject of Islamic economics would like to teach us. Yeah, this is something totally. else. This is like you're trying to rediscover how economics was uh, uh, conceptualized in the Islamic society and how it was practiced. So it is different from the modern subject of Islamic economics. And I said, really, well, this is interesting. I did not look at it from that point of view. Yeah. And I think that is where I, I was, I got some motivation. Okay, if, if this work can somehow be placed in the literature and maybe considered as a, you know, in, in uh, a value addition in that respect, then I should take it forward. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Great. Okay, so you definitely adding something to academia. Um, so uh, before delving into uh, the uh, the cracks on the heart um, and the many chapters of the book, um, I wanted to ask you about the different responses that you received from from the book. And let me start by quoting um, uh, Mr. Hussein Askari, who is prof of uh, business and international affairs at the University of uh, Georgetown. Sorry, George Washington University. Um, he actually commented on your book by saying that, um, quote, this excellent book will have importance for years to come and will be an invaluable companion to any serious course in Islamic economics and Islamic thought, end of quote. So this clearly means that um, the response to your book was very positive and um, that your book is going to be implemented um, in economy courses at several top universities like the you know, at least the Georgia Washington University. Could you tell us more um, about um, how the book was received in the world of, of academia and even by beginners who would be interested in, in, in this topic? Uh, thank you, Tasneem. Um, uh, I think I'm humbled by the words which uh, Professor Hussein Askri used about my, my book, and I really hope that it can be considered that, that useful. Uh, to be honest, because it is just a beginning, uh, uh, you know, since my book came out about uh, six months ago, I have received invitations to speak in, in universities and um, there has been some interest uh, by various academic circles. Um, um, and I'm still, you know, learning um, the, the response which I have been receiving. Uh, but. Uh, I think also, uh, and I'm speaking specifically now from a Pakistani uh, perspective or Pakistani experience so far, uh, for, for many uh, readers or for many in the audience, the conclusions of this book uh, may come as a surprise um, and may actually uh, challenge, and they actually do in some respect, the understanding of Islamic economics as a modern discipline. So I'm not sure how um, the uh, established academic world, um, especially in, in countries where this subject is already introduced, is going to receive it um, more positively or, or more pessimistically. I'm just learning it as, as we speak. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to go back uh, before I go to next my next question. I want to go back for a minute for uh, to what you said earlier when you said that you're against using the word Islamic um, economics because you're against uh, you know Islamization of everything. So can you please um, uh, clarify that point again? Why you're against using that term? So uh, the 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 process as the uh, you know as many uh, scholars later call uh, refers as. Islamization um, is based on it and an idea um, that um, all the social sciences, all the physical or natural uh, sciences 
need to be Islamicized. Uh, mm-hmm. That everything has to be go. Everything has to go back to basics of Islam, Islamic knowledge, which is which is course Quran and Sunnah. Um, and then we can sort of uh, contribute in the knowledge, and then that is applicable to economics, but also sociology, but also chemistry, also biology, so everything. So I I take an exception to this understanding of Islamic Islamization, and I, I believe that um, the process of knowledge accumulation, according to our spirit and according to the Islamic teaching, as I as the way I understand. Is very universal, is very pluralistic, uh, and actually our prophet, uh, peace be upon him, in, in, encouraged us to seek knowledge, even if we have to go to China. In 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 his words, um, and uh, and and in that you know the uh, the, the wisdom is something which all believers uh, should strive to get. Uh, so uh, one needs to be more open-minded. Um, I think that, that that is my criticism on the subject matter itself. Um, having said so, I still uh, take the view that there are specific guidelines which the practice of um, uh, the, the uh, Prophet uh, Muhammad and his companions uh, you know, provide us when we talk about economic organization. But it, it does not mean uh, to negate uh, the achievements of the subject of economics itself. And it does not require us to rewrite the textbook of of economics at all that is where i'm i'm yeah understood yeah that's that's very clear um okay let's uh, jump on the book right now so the book is obviously divided into um a number of chapters and sub- chapters um in the beginning you chose to clarify some principles like the principle of ownership wealth creation um and wealth circulation then you cover the different institutional tenets of the economic uh, islamic economic framework like market regulations uh, and law of inheritance and finally um, you chose to discuss this question islamic economic framework historical romance or practical prescription um, could you tell us why you opted for this specific plan um, and take us through some of its most important uh, points? Uh, sure. Uh, so I think first of all, uh, for for any concept, uh, you you have to and you know have to explain the the, the principles and and the main main conceptual or theoretical underpinnings of mm-hmm. any framework. So the first part uh, is naturally trying to do that. When, when I talk about principle of ownership, principle of wealth creation, and principle of wealth circulation, uh, in my understanding, I'm giving an outline of, of principles. Um, and this is one of the things which I have realized while reading the literature uh, on Islamic economics, that it is, uh, it is very heavy on the distributive justice. It is very heavy on um, the, uh, you know, the, the importance of wealth circulation, which is, which is indeed important. But it is not talking a lot about um, wealth creation. How can you distribute wealth uh, if you can't create first? Yeah. And what are the principles which needs to be respected for wealth creation? And there I introduced the idea of property rights. Um, but property rights, then I classify into private property rights and the public property rights. And um, I do recognize that these the, this conception of property rights is not exactly similar to, uh, let's say, the idea of uh, private property rights 
in the mainstream economic literature, there are some differences if you like, um, and, and we can talk about it. But so first is the principles, but then I think the challenge for me and for anyone who is dealing with the subject uh, that is that, all right, um, these principles uh, are great. Uh, what next? How do we, how do we implement? Uh, yeah. What are the policies? What are the tools are you recommending? And, and whether the tools and policies you are recommending uh, are indeed derived from the sources of Islam itself, or is it you know, something else? So there I make an, an attempt and I identify these eight sort of institutions institution tenets of uh, this framework, uh, which I believe um, most of them, um, if not all of them, uh, can find the link and an inspiration directly uh, from uh, the earlier sources, uh, the classical sources of knowledge in, in Islam itself. Uh, mm -hmm. Talking about price control um, and, and why price controls uh, are pro prohibited uh, in Islam and what, what problems can it lead to? Uh, there's a very, very rich literature in the fiqh itself, which talks about, which, which takes this hadith when Prophet Muhammad وسلم, prohibited price control when yeah. companions complained to him, uh, and then takes it that, and, and, and provides different interpretations, which you read, uh, you will be surprised, and I've provided some quotes, um, that how, um, deeply they exp they are explaining the economic consequences of price control as if we are reading a modern textbook um, and then things like tax policy okay what is the tax policy uh, is there a tax policy is zakat a tax or a poor deal is zakat uh, what is you know so so i i take zakat as as a tax uh, as a transaction something on which um, is not is, is, is yes there are of course share for the poor but also it's, it, it, it has a larger meaning uh, for uh, provision of resources for, the, for running the government. Um, and then there are other sources of, um, of wealth distribution, uh, such as, as waqf, um, and, and, and inheritance. All these institutions are established, and then we are practiced um, in the earliest Islamic history. We also see uh, that um, market regulations are extremely important. And then I have described some of the market regulations which were introduced by Prophet Muhammad himself. Yeah. That at one point we talk about price uh, liberalization, but on the other hand, we have to talk about the exploitation uh, which uh, and, and information asymmetry, which may occur because uh, you know some um, the you know misuse of resources or misuse of uh, information which a trader or a market participant may have, and there are there are specific um, injunctions uh, which we find in Islamic history um, can be quoted and uh, and can be placed in in this context. So I think um, uh, there are these aspects of of the institutional tenets I have. Uh, talked about and and that's the the idea behind the this framework the of the plan. yeah great 
Okay, so um, moving from the plan itself, um, there are many quotes, um, some very important quotes in the book by prominent people in the world of economics. One in particular um, caught my attention. It's by Bendrick Kohler from his book, Early Islam and the Birth of Capitalism. It reads as, uh, Muhammad gave his community along with a new religion framework for its economy. Muhammad's economy policy, economic policy promoted entrepreneurial initiative efficient distribution of resources and wealth creation, a framework for creating wealth that lasted for centuries, end of quote. So many people around the world, um, including Muslims them themselves, um, fail to understand that Islam is not just a religion with a set of um, rules, but actually an entire way of life that includes an economic vision as well as with all of its economic regulations and values. Um, is that what you aim to show um, in your book? Uh, it's a it's a not an easy question to answer, and um, my my first answer would be yes. Um, I definitely talking I'm talking about the principles of economic organization as derived from the Islamic sources, as you put mm -hmm. it, uh, the Islamic way of life. But yeah. but then I also uh, state in my uh, in my introduction that look when it comes to religion, uh, uh, it 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 matters. Um, the message matters, but also the interpretation of that message matters. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, one needs to be open enough um, to to understand different interpretations when it comes to to religion, um, and uh, Islam is no exception to it. And uh, uh, while I say that um, the the framework itself is is comprehensive enough. Um, but then um, it, it may not have uh, answers to all the problems which we face uh, in the economic realm today. And, and we definitely should avoid looking into um, the, 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 the text um, always to find uh, the specific answers. I think what I'm saying is that there are uh, principles, there are uh, guidelines which are available but then, um, you know, a lot of specifics have been left to the particular context and particular society. And I'm not saying that this is the the truth uh, or this is the only way one should interpret um, the economic organization of mm -hmm. Islamic society. Absolutely. So it depends on the society and time and context and everything. Um, so still with this previous quote, um, Kohler stated that the Islamic framework for creating wealth lasted for centuries. But as we all know, this kind of stopped and the majority of Muslim uh, countries today um, are sinking into poverty, debt and economic stagnation. What do you, what do you think happened? Um, a lot of people find it easy to explain this crisis by blaming it all on, um, you know, decades of colonialism and the ongoing economic dependency on the West. But is is it the case? Didn't this happen because we kind of strayed away from um, the Islamic economic framework that our ancestors followed uh, for centuries and and thrived because of it? Um. I think there is no single answer to it, uh, and and of course, when we when we talk about the understanding of our own history, there can't be and should not be. Uh, to, to to begin with, um, actually, I would mention Timur Quran, um, who is a foremost authority on on the subject mm -hmm. of economic history, particularly in the Islamic context, um, and he takes a very different view. Actually, 
he believes that uh, the uh, you know lack of evolution of certain institutions such as waqf uh, in the islamic civilization was actually a contributor to the decline of muslim society and 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 while um, you know an institution might have served a particular need in a particular time uh, this should have been evolved um, there are other views about it uh, alternative views and that uh, that you know actually the uh, uh, the muslim societies were able to uh, evolve and and change the rules uh, for instance uh, with the evolution of modern banking system about uh, 300 or 400 years ago um, you know there was a degree of acceptance um, today we talk about islamic banking a lot in a very sort of puritan sense but yeah. it wasn't the case yeah. in, in our history uh, benedict kohler uh, mentions uh, that uh, the interest was being practiced in in the muslim societies also in in different forms um, and i briefly mention the episode of uh, formation of muslim banks in different parts of the uh, muslim world um, during the ottoman empire in india in egypt uh, much before and much earlier than uh, today's uh, islamic bank as they like call themselves um, so this shows that the muslim society was trying to evolve uh, with the time with the passage of time um, and the uh, poverty, which you have rightly uh, identified in the other economic problems, um, you know, may not be totally uh, ascribed or attributed uh, to the lack of evolution in the Muslim society itself. It it has mm -hmm. it has taken its own form. Yes, there there were um, other uh, I would say institutional factors. Um, uh, colonization is definitely a part of the problem. Uh, mm -hmm. I would not say that um, that did not affect us as badly. It, it did. For instance, the institution of Waqf I mentioned, which played, um, according to my history, understanding, uh, an important role in the socio-economic development of Muslim societies, was taken over by uh, by the colonial uh, powers, and then it was nationalized, and then it not still even has by the colonial powers. I mean, in Tunisia, the president himself stopped it. So without much yeah. yeah, from yeah, the, that's right. Yes. Yeah. So, so after yeah. after the independence of these yeah. uh, you know nation states, then the state continued to control it. So um, so there there is that I think that's a part of the problem. Um, but also I think the uh, the the fact that um, uh, that we could not make the progress in the same speed as let's say the other nations were. Um, uh, if I if I can bring our friend. Ahmed Kuru here, and uh, he talks about this uh, uh, alliance between uh, ulama and state as a, yeah. as a problem. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and the fact that it sort of creates an obstacle in the freedom of thought, uh, let's say uh, freedom of thought by economists, by sociologists, by scientists, that all uh, can be stopped by an overbearing state, yeah. um, mm -hmm. which according to his thesis has contributed significantly to decline in Muslim societies. I think that all these, these factors, these, these are internal factor, nothing to do with the colonial power. But then I think uh, we, we have to address the, the damage done by the, the occupation, um, the you know, uh, taking over our um, assets and, and people uh, by the external forces. But if you talk today, I mean, 
Today means, let's say, last 70 or 80 years, uh, formally, uh, the, uh, formally the independence is there. Right? Yes. So these countries, if you talk now, in our current context, these countries have uh, sovereignty over, over, uh, over their economies. But the issues of poverty yeah. persist. Yeah. Uh, and issues of, so, so, so there's something else now. We can't, we can't keep on looking back and we can't keep Absolutely. on yeah. looking and I blame others, but we need to see, okay, what is going, what is, what are, what is, what are the things we are doing wrong now? And let's say, positively speaking, which countries are performing relatively better, Muslim countries, yeah. and what they yeah. have done to achieve it, right? So I remember uh, we, a couple of years ago when I was in Tunisia, we talked about the examples uh, from Malaysia and, and Turkey. Yes. Uh, and yes. although Turkey is in deep crisis right now, but uh, at that point in time, we thought that, okay, at least these two countries are providing better economic prospects for this, their citizens. Yeah. Uh, also, many Gulf countries, I think in terms of at least the economic sense, they are, they are definitely providing better environments. So we see these good examples, but, but you're right. That by and large, um, we can still see economic crisis and poverty in, in most of the Muslims. Mm-hmm. Okay, just as you mentioned, uh, Ahmed Kuru, had, um, uh, he was our guest in the Island Talk Show before. For, for those who want to check that uh, episode, they're welcome. I'm promoting my own, uh, <laughs> I'm promoting my own um, show. Um, anyway, so back to the to the Islamic banking. I'm actually interested in knowing what do you think exactly by, uh, about the Islamic banking because you only mentioned it and didn't seem to like the, the the naming. And it is really unfathomable that several Muslim countries forbid it while it is already thriving and perfectly implemented in many Western countries. So how can you explain this? Uh, yes, this is interesting, and this is uh, and this is the subject which has received the most attention by Islamic economists uh, around the world. Uh, partly because there are incentives attached to it, and any you know, if you are associated with an Islamic bank, uh, if if today I was if today I'm in, appointed as an advisor to the Islamic bank, I'll be making a lot of money. Yeah. So, uh, so that's that's one of the reason it is uh, thriving in so many countries. Um, uh, but my my own perspective is 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 this that look the the way interest um, rates are determined today um, and and the and the role of inflation and the role of monetary policy um, is uh, not properly understood by our classical um, uh, I, I would say let me correct myself by a modern uh, Islamic economist they, mm-hmm. they, they tend to reject mm-hmm. a interest and tend to take interest in the same sense of in, in the same in the sense that Quran prohibits riba so there's a big d- debate between interest and riba whether riba whether each interest is riba or not the which is very clear that if it is riba which is an exploitative um, uh, function in in the economy then of course it is forbidden there can't be two opinions about but my humble opinion is that over centuries um, large part of this function of uh, the economy, um, the function of interest um, has evolved. Uh, one doesn't have to equate it with um, exploitation in the sense it, it, has, it was used in, in earlier time periods. It still exists um, in, in, in Pakistan, in many countries, in, in many other countries of the world. Um, 
actually in rural areas, the money lenders uh, charge very high level of interest rate, uh, especially from the poor people uh, who okay. need smaller okay. amounts of loan and, and they get uh, the loans at a very high rate of return even today. So maybe that is riba, but maybe yeah. banking interest yeah. is not riba. So, uh, so, so that's the view I'm taking. And this is something which I'm still um, understanding. But I think before me, um, you know, scholars like Dr. Fazlur Rahman have taken a very clear view about this distinction. And I tend to maintain that distinction. Uh, and therefore I, I say that, look, the, the problem is of Islamic banking is an, is an implicit one. When they say that we are Islamic, they are implying that the other banks are non-Islamic. And, and then when they are saying we are halal, they are saying others are haram, right? Yeah. So that is the implication. And that's the that's a problem. I think uh, that's the problem. That's my problem with Islamic banks. And I, I, if, if, if I accept interest as an important function of the allocation of resources, then I'm happier with the conventional banks today uh, who can facilitate a transaction if I get one onto mortgage uh, for a house or get a car, for instance. I'll, my personal preference, if you ask me, would yeah. be a conventional bank. Yeah. Um, at least they are not saying, uh, you know, they're not making any claim and I know the costs. And if you talk about practice, um, unfortunately many Islamic banks are charging uh, are, and have hidden costs. And, and sometimes some of them use, maybe using uh, just names, just terms to convince themselves and others that look, this is this is better. But in essence, I don't see the difference. I think the the essential difference between the cash price and the credit price is still admitted. And so, if it is that, uh, I think we should just embrace the fact that you know we the economy has moved on, and there are, we need to look into uh, aspects of exploitation. Really, that is something we must target. And we mm -hmm. must offer alternatives through Sadaqat, for instance, through interest-free lending, especially for the poor people who have, do not have means to actually return the money uh, yeah. with the additional income. So that's something we need to look into. Um, and that's that's definitely an important social issue. I think we have to have another island talk show specifically for this, uh, for this topic in particular. Um, okay, um, back back to the to the book. Um, I think one of your strategies uh, throughout the book is that you use several Quranic verses and prophetic sayings on economy to illustrate your points. One of them in particular um, caught my attention because of something I'm gonna mention in a minute. So the saying goes as uh, follows: Water, fire, um, and grass belong to community. This is a saying by Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him, um, and. Many, many people use it to suggest that Islam is encouraging a socialist approach, whereas all of us know that this is not the case because Islam is rather for an entrepreneurial approach, not exactly a, a capitalistic one, but definitely not a socialist one. How can we address this misconception? I'm glad that uh, you have asked this and I'm glad that you have differentiated between uh, possibly between entrepreneurial system and the capitalist system. Um, and I, I agree with you that uh, this may be a misconception. Uh, and that is something which I have addressed in the first section or the first chapter of my book in which I have uh, differentiated between the private property rights and uh, public property rights. 
and I've outlined that there are aspects of um, resources, especially natural resources, which are not created as a result of human effort. Uh, uh, for instance, water, uh, human beings did not create it, right? Um, or grass or all the natural resources, uh, the, you know, the oil, for instance, we didn't uh, create it. So there has to be some kind of common claim and details can be worked out. And this has been worked out already uh, by, by many economists. There has to be some common claim of society for uh, equitable distribution, but also looking ahead for the future generation. Um, having said that, the aspect where the we recognize the importance of um, entrepreneurial system is uh, the fact that, okay, the water is there, but the delivery of water may not be free. You, know, you are sitting in your house and enjoying a safe uh, drinking water is uh, definitely has some costs. And the water itself is a small part of that cost. The whole idea of the logistics, the distribution, the, the pipelines, the, the cleaning process, the transportation, the packaging process involves costs. And those aspects of I think system are, are uh, uh, they have to base on incentive, they have to base on a price, and there we need to you know, bring back the idea of private property rights. Uh, mm -hmm. So the, create, the assets mm -hmm. which we create, the houses which we build, the factories which we establish are all private property. Um, and the state cannot take them over. Uh, where are there are natural resources? Mm -hmm. So I, I, I see there are public goods, um, and I don't see I don't see this necessarily as a as a leading towards a socialistic uh, system of economy, which uh, uh, because in socialism, what is happening is you take away all the incentives for production, yeah. um, and um, there's a central authority which is then distributing uh, the the resources. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, absolutely. So we don't have to be literalist. Um, we have to, you know, analyze more and differentiate between what you just said, the costs and the product itself, which can be for free, but it's, you know, the the procedures that are attached to it can cost and that's why it becomes private. Um, okay, so um, it's already 40 minutes. Can you believe that? Um, and um, I'm led to ask your my last question. When will we see your next book and um, what will it be about? Okay, so the challenge is now for me that uh, already I'm receiving some suggestions. I have received one particular suggestion to work on the empirical aspects of these ideas. Mm -hmm. So for instance, uh, I'm in talks with, um, um, with a former uh, governor of a central bank um you know who like me believes that okay there is a potential of zakat as a tax policy but the big question mark is that can it um, be sufficient uh, the conventional opinion is that it cannot be sufficient it cannot fulfill the need of of, of modern state at all um so how can we actually prepare a, a modern code of zakat inspired taxation um, the principles are clear. It is low rate. It is it is uh, flat in nature. Um, it doesn't dis discriminate um, um, you know from sector to sectors. Um, uh, but then there's there's a lot of work needed actually in 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 the issue of zakat itself. Um, and I think um, the social protection is another important area. 
So more on the empirical side, um, I hope that I am able to work further ahead in, in collaboration with others uh, who are there, who are working in this field, and I hope to contribute uh, more in that in the future. Absolutely. So once that book is out, you're welcome to have another Alan talk show on it. And meanwhile, we're going to attach the link for those who want to purchase uh, the book and order it online in the description. And with this, I want to thank you again for being my guest today and looking forward to having more uh, talk shows with you. Thank you so much, Tasneem. I really enjoyed this conversation. You're welcome. I I'm sure that our viewers are going to benefit just like I benefited from this uh, fascinating discussion. See you next uh, time and goodbye.